You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everyone. It is Pierce, host of the PJ's Cast. And if you enjoy listening to the PJ's Cast as much as we do recording it, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends no matter what platform you may be on. We love discussing the Chicago Blackhawks and, of course, the game of hockey, but we want to reach this out to a wider audience, and doing all those things really help us out. So once again, if you enjoy the PJ's Cast, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends. And I hope you guys enjoyed the upcoming podcast episode. Welcome everyone to the PJ's Cast. I'm your host Pierce, alongside of my good pal Schmitty. We have a very special guest today here, and it was kind of perfect timing with everything that's been happening with the Red Wings right now with them hiring their head coach. We have Max Boltman of The Athletic. How's it been going, Max? Really good. Busy, for sure, uh, but really glad to be here with you guys today. Very much so. Um, before we get to, to that, I want to ask how things been recently, and how is it going? I know you went to the draft combine. How is it going there because I'm pretty sure it was the first one since 2019. So how was it going there, interviewing all the players and all that stuff? Yeah, it was good. I, I'd been to the Combine before, um, obviously, in pre, before the pandemic. So little, maybe slight differences, but not not too different. It was pretty familiar. It was pretty much picking up uh, where you left off. And I, I like that event. I, I like having kind of the whole league in, in one place like that. And you can see some people that you haven't seen in a while and, and, in a lot of cases, the first time I've talked to most of those prospects, some, you know, you, you meet, certainly I live in Detroit. So um, I, I meet the program kids or at least a few of them each year. Um, but, you know, there's a couple that I was meeting for the first time even there. And and certainly a lot of the international guys you're meeting for the first time. So uh, I think it's a great event. I, I really like going to the combine. Who are some of your favorite players to like, interview or get to know? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I was really, I mean, I, I had already met him, um, but I'm really impressed by Rucker McGordy. Uh, he, he's Love really, yeah, well, he's a really mature kid, polished kid, but also fun kid. Um, you know, I, I think it's hard to strike that balance. Like it's, it's hard to be, you know, seem like you're an adult, but still like you're loose. You know, it, it is, and it's impressive that, that he can do it. Um, See, I like Frank Nazar. I when I talked to him about, uh, I, I did like a piece that was kind of reading prospects, their scouting reports. I, I thought he did a great job with it. Um, I liked. Let's see, there was a lot of good ones. I'm trying to think. Rieger Lorenz uh, was a good one. Um, those were some of the ones that that were like real kind of highlight. Matt Savoy for sure. He he was really charismatic, personable. Um, but you know, it's, it's to be, to think about yourself at 17 at 18, 
doing that level of interview and, and, you know, basically 30, in some cases, 30, 30, maybe even a couple more job interviews in like a week long span is incomprehensible to me. So all of those kids blow me away just on principle. Um, but those are the ones who, who I remember kind of walking away. Seamus Casey was another one um, that I remember walking away just thinking like, wow, that, that's an impressive, that's an impressive kid. Yeah, and you also mentioned up like you did that that thing where you read them the scouting reports or whatever it was. What was some of the most interesting feedback you got off of that while reading them? Yeah, I mean, I it, it's probably it, it, nothing beyond what was in the article, you know. But I, I thought, you know, I, I liked the kids that were willing to push back because I, I wasn't just reading them the positive feedback that that uh, Corey had written about them. There was guys who it was, in fact, pretty critical on. And so I appreciated when guys like Frank Nazar said, like, hey, I think his projection on me is a little low. I appreciated uh, when Brad Lambert said, you know, I don't think I take nights off. And and I I appreciated when uh, a couple of the other guys, uh, Jeremy Langloy, um, really pushed back on on Corey's report on him. I think, I don't remember if it was about his skating or his defending or something, but I think it might have been his defending. Um, But... I just liked the guys who were willing to push back. I thought that was that was kind of the point, right? It would have been a shitty article if I, if I just went in and <laughs> said, Here, here's some nice things someone said about you. And they said, okay, thank you very much. So uh, that was the point. And I'm glad that, that the guys, you know, were willing to stand up for themselves and say, hey, I think I'm, I think I'm better than that. That was what we were hoping to do. Gotcha. So kind of, I guess, on the topic of young players, um, I remember the last time we had you on, I think it was November or December. I can't quite remember. Either way, it's, it feels like it's been forever with how long the season has felt. I remember we had the discussion of who was, you know, the better rookie for the Red Wings. And yeah. uh, like at the time, it was Lucas Raymond and Mort Sider. They were kind of neck and neck. But really over the year, Mort Sider took over and obviously won the Calder and deservingly so. Um one, I have to ask, did you have more Sider at number one? And two, like, how was it watching him progress as a rookie? Because um, I just find, like, like the way the way he got picked, like, how he's developed playing in the, the, the AHL and then the SHL. And not only that, like, just him as a character watching his interview at the – or not the interview, like, his speech at the – at the awards was so cool. And I just feel like this is a guy the NHL can market on an original six team. So I just kind of want to ask like the progression of Mort Sider in his game and also like the, the, the human side of him, I guess. Yeah. First of all, I did have him uh, atop my ballot. Um, I had both Red Wings guys on the ballot, but I, I had Sider uh, at number one and, and you're right. I mean, he was a super personable guy and, and he did just keep getting better over the course of the year. That was one of the most impressive things about him to me was, you know, you, you think about kind of that proverbial, rookie wall and it, it's inevitable because of how much these guys are playing you know 82 games and in, in that you know short compressed this was even you know pretty tight schedule i think especially the second half of the year and to him you didn't really notice it i think a lot of the rookies in the league you started to see like okay you know maybe they get through the the 50 to 60 games that they're more used to playing um especially if they came from like europe those are usually like you know 50 52 game seasons um and cider it didn't seem to affect him at all. He, he was still playing some of his very best hockey at the end. He was playing a punishing brand of hockey, which makes that even more impressive. Um, but to me, like the element of Cider's game that just continues to surprise me right into this year is his hands and his puck skills and the, the creativity, what he's willing to try and how well he's able to pull it off. That was supposed to be the question on him. If you think back to when he was drafted, it was, does he have the the offensive upside um, to, to be more than kind of that, that shut down two way, um, you know, steady guy. 
And the answer is very clearly yes. He can do some really impressive things, you know, protecting the puck and, and he can, um, you know, at the blue line, the way he keeps the puck in, the way he he can make a move and 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 make a play off of it. Um, all of that is so impressive to me. And in addition to some of the slick hands you see going through the neutral zone stuff that, uh, you know, I, I think this guy's the number one defenseman. I think he's, you know, on his way to being uh, potentially a top 10 defenseman in the NHL uh, before too long. Do you think he could be in the class of like a Kale McCarr? Because I know we look at Kale McCarr, he has all the the flash in the world. He's probably the most skilled, like the purely skilled defenseman arguably we've ever had in the NHL, certainly since Bobby Orge. But like you look at more side, it's kind of a different game. Like he doesn't necessarily have that flash, but he still has that strong two-way game. And obviously he's developing his offensive skills. So I wonder if you like see him in the class with potentially Kale McCarr and guys like Adam Fox and even Quinn Hughes. Well, I, you know, in, in terms of being like, if I say, yeah, I think he'd be a top 10 defenseman. I think all those guys are also top 10 defensemen. I mean, McCarr and Fox have won a Norris trophy, which puts them in a different class right now. Right. But like you think of like this whole grouping of young D those two certainly in it. Quinn Hughes is in it. Mira Heiskanen's in it. I think Cider's absolutely in it. And by the way, I think Jake Sanderson is going to be in it before too long in Ottawa. Um, I, I do think he's going to be in that group. And then it's just like, you know, once you, there's being a, a a contender for Norris trophies, and then there's having won one. And I think, you know, McCarr and Fox before the age of 24 have both now won one. Um, Cider's got a few years. It's possible. Um, but I think you got to your, your ticket into that club is that trophy. Right. And I can't give that ticket. The only people who, who I guess, in the sense that I have a vote, I guess I maybe partly can. But uh, I get one small share of being able to give that that ticket. But but that that tier, that Norris trophy winning tier, you need a Norris trophy to be in it. But I do think he's mm-hmm. going to start contending for them yeah. um, in the very near future. I feel like um, I feel like Cider's going to be on that um, like that McAvoy cost where it's like they could easily win a Norris of their defensive ability. It's just they don't put up eighty points a year, so they're just not going to get the credit in some of the media's eyes, like uh, like like a Makar does for getting well because like, Makar almost got thirty goals. That's impressive. But like, yeah, no, well, it's very possible. But yeah, and I think McAvoy, you know, he was on my ballot this year. I think he mm-hmm. was fourth on my ballot this year, right? And and but you, like another guy who was on my ballot this year is Aaron Ekblad, and I think that was the story for some of the early years of his career. And this year, he the, the points really came through. And so I'm not ruling out Charlie McAvoy or, or Aaron Ekblad or Moritz Sider winning a Norris Trophy in the next five to 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you know, it's just, you know, you, I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, um, when you talk about the Norris at his best all around defenseman, I think it needs to include both, but the offensive side does matter. And I think sometimes people maybe imply that points shouldn't be counted in that they, they are for good reason. That's really hard to do. I think it's just a couple of years where like Brett Burns won the Norris when like he mm-hmm. definitely didn't have good defensive analytics. It's just like, I, that's where I start drawing the line. But like this last couple of years, we're starting to get into, actual two-way defenseman who can play both ways and like like you said like fox and mccarr and cider proved his rookie year he can do that like it the sky's the limit for him honestly i feel like at this point for his age oh yeah he's a super impressive player and, and there's nothing at this point there's nothing that i'm going to to uh rule out for more cider I, i've uh I've had my fill of, of being wrong, underrating him. So I, I'm done now. He can do anything. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I guess that can kind of help us segue into the next topic. I'll never, ever, like, doubt Steve Eiserman. He knows exactly what he's doing. Like, And kind of into that next question, like, 
what do you know about Derek Lalonde? Because I I know very little of him other than I know he was a, a former assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But do you know like much about his like personality and like what systems he'll employ and what he'll help with the, this team? Well, we met him for the first time yesterday uh, in Detroit. He had his opening press conference. I mean, the, the first thing that I think the top of line item is he really emphasized about himself was himself as a communicator uh, and, and the way he tries to build relationships with players. I think that's super important. Um, and really, if you go look at his background, he comes from a long time as a college assistant coach. He, he was a, a head coach in the USHL, a head coach in the AHL, a head coach in the ECHL. He's used to working with young players. And I think um, that those two things combined, you know, the history of being able to build relationships and connect with young players um, and the track record that he's had also getting them to win um, adds up to a really important picture for the Red Wings, who, as you guys well know, are going to have a lot of young players coming through in, in, in the coming years. And so having a guy behind the bench who, who they feel is going to help uh, get get that message through, the vision through to the young players is key. In terms of what he actually talked about, how he wants to play, to me, it didn't sound that different to how, you know, Jeff Blaschel talked about the game and frankly, how most coaches talk about the game, right? They no, I don't think many coaches are going to come out here and tell you, you know, oh, we, we want to play 10 to nine games. We want to run and gun, right? Like he, he's been a part of the Tampa Bay Lightning teams that turned from a team that was unbelievably loaded with with skill and, and talent and could beat you in, in all these highlight real ways, um, but had to turn into a team that could also check with you. Um, and I don't think it's an either or. I think what made Tampa great was they could do both and they knew when to do both. And the answer to, to when you need to, uh, be that tight checking team, that team that doesn't give you anything um, is in the playoffs. And if you don't do it at all in the regular season, it's very hard to find it in the playoffs. So uh, I do think that's going to be a foundation. He's going to want the Red Wings to be a tight checking team, a team that's hard to play against. That was the the first thing that came out of his um, mouth when uh, someone asked him what he wanted the identity to be. He said hard to play against. Uh, and so that's how, you know, you take him at his word. And, and I think that was a similar vision for what Jeff Blaschel had for them. And and now you see if a new voice, you know, maybe reinforces it, a, a new voice who's just won two Stanley Cups, that probably helps. And then you, you see kind of, you know, he says he's a communicator and he, he builds with relationships and uh, that's the way he's going to try to do it. For sure. Like, I, I, um, I definitely like that he has a, he's, I don't know if he's won at every level, but he's basically coached at every level you can coach at. And that's one thing that like we talk about when like, you know, like a, like a coaching candidate comes from outside of like what the normal 33 are that, that just keep getting rehired. But um, usually like they have like all these accolades and stuff. And it's nice to see uh, Lalonde have all those and be or immediately have that ability to say, listen, we're not going to, we're not going to play this high flying style. We want to teach these young players how to tight check, how to win a two, one game. Like, I feel like that's the type of style he wants to, at least ingrained in these young players going forward. Cause yeah. like with Tampa, like we like Pierce and I talk about it all the time. They have this ability to just tur- put on the gauntlet and you're not going to score on them at some points. Right. And, and, and to be clear, he didn't rule out any kinds of style, but he just made clear they're, they're going to be able to do the latter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it is important. Um, and, and I think, you know, what's key is the Red Wings don't have the personnel right now to go score seven goals a night anyway. So uh, you can, you can defend and and you can always defend. And I think this was something that again, came up uh, under the last regime too. Um, You got to do it consistently though. And so I think that's going to be his first task is getting this team to, to, to defend consistently and consistently well. And if they do, they'll be in games and how much can they improve? We'll see. 
But uh, I, I think, you know, you, you talked about, you know, has he won everywhere? He hasn't won the championship everywhere, but he's consistently gotten his teams to be significantly better very quickly at, at every stop in the past. And that's definitely something you got to take note of because yeah. even if it's not immediate success, you just want to see growth with players. Like we talked about this with Luke Richardson with the Blackhawks. Like we're not expecting to be good next year, but if you could see development in a couple of the young players, that's really all you need right now. And yeah. especially with like a Detroit team that's got, like you said, they have all this budding young talent coming up the next two or three years, which kind of leads me into my next question, just because like the, um, the Red Wings, obviously the last couple of years have had, a goaltending problem I feel like and um obviously like it's kind of just a waiting game until Kosa's ready at this point but um yeah. is the plan next year just to go in with Nedeljkovic and give him another shot you think or is it um they might bring in a 1B this offseason to maybe help with the tandem or maybe make it a tandem back there this year with um Alex Nedeljkovic yeah they'll need to get someone else in behind him I don't you know they're not gonna obviously go in with just one goalie uh, on, on the roster or anything but um I I still expect to be the starter you know and you know, I guess if they were to go get like a Jack Campbell, like that would kind of probably be the only, assuming Darcy Kemp was going back to the avalanche, uh, that would really be the only guy in the market who I would say you'd you'd maybe give the nod to over Nadelkovic. Um, even like a Vili Huso who had a great year, I, you know, track record wise, I don't think he's dramatically ahead of Nadelkovic or anything. So um, to me, the, but to me, the answer is going to be, it'll be Nadelkovic with, with a backup and, and you see if he can because through the through the midway point of last year he he looked really good and he lost it for a couple months stretch there and and you can argue you know did they overwork him at times and it led to that and even during that stretch he had a couple of games where he got pulled and he went back in and you know that's something you don't see very often so um to me i think it's the right call to to bet on Nadelkovic. we'll see if there's anything any surprises waiting but um, I, I think they should give Nadelkovic a full season, a full look, you know, 55 games or so. And, and what are you? Because if he can put up a 9-10, 9-15, um, I think you're really happy with a young goaltender who's, who's shown he can do that. For sure. I mean, I, I think we all forget the guy's still, what, 26, 27? Like, he's a young goalie. Like, he's yeah. still got the, some. still yeah. eligible for the Calder this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. What, what was he, a finalist for the Calder last year? And then he gets to be up for it this year? Oh, that's and I think he got, he got he got a fifth place vote. So he's, he's, he, got, <laughs> uh, he was on a ballot for, for two years in a row. Love that. Love that. He's, he's in his Matt Murray arc. Now he's going to go win back-to-back cups with the Red Wings. <laughs> And then get traded to Ottawa. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, I I get maybe before we go in the draft, I just wanted to ask a quick question. We're retaining to the the roster real quick. Um, mm-hmm. so like this is kind of like a two parter, but uh, Dylan Larkin obviously is a free agent at the end of this next season, and like I heard, I saw him on Frank Saravalli's trade board. I don't think that happens unless Eisenman gets his socks blown off. Um, I think what more is likely is they try to find a two C this off season to maybe help us because. I mean, down the middle, the Red Wings are a little thin. Um, I'm just wondering if maybe there are a couple names that you might have in mind that they might look at this offseason to maybe get a guy behind Larkin, or they might just say, you know, we might just run with Suter again at second-line center next year. I don't know. I'm just curious. Well, one of the guys who I would have said may have priced himself uh, maybe more term-wise out of the Red Wings range with how good of a playoffs he had, and that's Andrew Kopp. I thought he was outstanding for the Rangers. Local kid, I think it would have been a real – nice fit for him to come on and especially you know if he could the Red Wings haven't done a, a long-term deal yet under Steve Eisman I, I think Dylan Larkin will be the first and I think it will be soon um, but you know that's a 
that's a certain caliber of guy, right? And I don't see them giving, he's also only 25, uh, be 26 soon. Um, I don't see them giving the like six, seven, eight year deals here in, in free agency personally. Uh, and if Andrew Cobb, who has every right to, to seek that after how good he just was and, and secure his financial future, if that's what he's looking for, then I have a harder time seeing it in Detroit than I would have uh, a couple months ago. But I do think, you know, if he is open to, you know, that kind of three, four, five year term, maybe that gets more possible. Um, and I think he's, he's a natural fit. You know, he could play second line center. He can bring some heaviness and physicality to, to his game w- as well as bringing offense. Um, another guy is Vincent Trocheck, though. I'm the closer it gets to free agency. I kind of have a harder time seeing it. Um, we'll see if he sticks around in Carolina, but especially, you know, you kind of hear the noise around Pittsburgh and is Evgeny Malkin really going to be back? If, if he's not, to me, Trocek would be a real obvious fit for them. Um, and we'll see what happens there. But uh, another guy who I think can bring some good elements and some competitiveness uh, to the center position, like he was a part of an excellent penalty kill in, in Carolina. That's an area the Red Wings need to get better next year. Um, but if it's not one of those two guys, I don't think Ryan Strom makes a world of sense for the Red Wings. You know, I guess you could say if you could get Malkin short, would that be interesting? But if he's not willing to do short in Pittsburgh, I don't know why he would be willing to do short in, in a rebuild in Detroit. So uh, to me, it's just if, if it's not Cop, if it's not Trocek, I'm not sure that I see that obvious answer for them, in which case, you know, you're probably just going to continue to try to get by with, with P.U. Suter or hope that, you know, Joe Valeno or Michael Rasmussen – um, take that next step or something um, in, in the short term. That'd be my guess. I was going to say, um, maybe they go back to the well with Blackhawk centers and get Strom when he doesn't get qualified. The other show. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's not a bad idea, to be honest. I mean, they, especially, you know, they're, they're willing to, they they have seemed to be willing at this point to do anything on a short-term deal, right? They, mm-hmm. they've they made, you know, like a couple years ago, I'm sure you guys remember, they made the trade for Brendan Perlini and didn't work out. No, no harm done. You know, they, they give up Alec Regula, who... I think it's progressed pretty well since yeah. I traded him, but mm-hmm. um, you know, they've, they've proven that they're willing to do to take short term bets on guys, as long as it's not, you know, a long term or a crazy dollar amount that that's going to burn them. Oh yeah. Uh, Cop was definitely a name. I wasn't thinking of beforehand though. If he can, if the terms are right though, you're, you're hundred percent right. Cops, but you know, like at this point he's shown that he can be this guy on a good team. Like I have to think his market went way up, not just in terms of, what he, what he can get on AAV, but I think there's going to be a team now who's willing to give him five or six years after what he just showed. <laughs> sure, it could be them. <laughs> they lose out uh, on Kadri. <laughs> right. Or, you know, and Kadri's another one, but I, I think, you know, he, he just won. And, yeah, he's uh, not going to want to go to <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, tough, tough times to be without a center. And it always is. And this is what I, I you know, talk to people about this all the time. Like, you talk about like the draft and everyone says, you know, you got to go best player available, got to go best player available. Sometimes you just got to go most valuable player available. And when you look at how rare it is to find top six center, you know, the Red Wings haven't used a, one of their top 10 picks on a center since Michael Rasmussen in 2019. It doesn't look like he's going to be a top six center. And they've been in this top 10 for, for five, six years now. And they've, you know, they've only gotten him at the center position out of it. Um, Joe Valeno, they got in the first round at 30, but that's not one of their top 10 premium picks. And he doesn't look like he's a first or second line center at this stage either. So to me, you're going to have to go draft a center. That's the, that's how you're going to answer this question long-term. And each year you don't do it. You just add another, you know, it, it gets that much more important the next year. So that's the way you find your center. Ultimately, if you can find a short-term stopgap in free agency or trade, that's great. But ultimately I think you're going to have to draft one. 
And that perfectly segues into the next question I have. What do you think they do at number eight? Well, I know it's impossible to see what Steve Eiserman does. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's the ultimate, like, like never let them know you, your next move. So um, do you think they go for center? Like the centers that I think could probably be there at number eight are Frank Nazar and Matt Savoy. Do you even think they would, like, go for someone like Marco Casper? Because he kind of fits that Steve Eiserman bill where maybe – there's not super high upside, but that's like pro guy, pretty much pr- close to pro ready. But he, he could put, probably be like a, a le- the worst, like a third line center or even like a second line center at kind of at best and kind of play everywhere. And I just wonder what you think about that. Yep, those are the three guys who who I have circled for for them. Um, obviously, if if you do decide that you know you think Joachim Kamel or or Jonathan Lekaramaki are that much better. I don't have a problem with either of those two guys uh, either. Even one of the defensemen, Mintikov or Korchinski, if you, if you really like one of them, I, I would have no issue. But those are the three guys who I've had circled for them. Um, I like Casper quite a bit. I'm among the people who think he maybe makes the most sense uh, in terms of what they're lacking. But I really like Savoy too. I really like Nazer too. It's it's you know, They're all really good players. Um, when I've done mocks for them, if all three are on the board, I've had them taking Casper, um, but I, I could see any of those three, and I could see some of those other names I said too. But uh, to me, like Casper is the one who checks seemingly every box, maybe except for the the high end point total projection. But I think everyone's got some kind of question, and and I think that's you know when you, when you look at Casper, he brings enough elements that give you the hope that he could still develop into that you know forty fifty point center that's so valuable um, that, that you're looking for right now. Oh, for sure. Especially playing that two-way game also. Like, I feel That's like what I mean. Yeah. Like, like he, he, he brings the whole underrated. package. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if this is a good comparable from the last couple of years, but like the way Marco Caspers are talked about a lot kind of reminds me of Anton Lundell, where it's like he had that high floor going into the draft because he has all the tools ready to go. And like Pierce said, he's almost NHL ready. And like, but the offense wasn't there. And then Lundell as a rookie got what, like 60 points. So like if, if you're betting on the offense coming later and he's got everything else, that's probably a good bet. Sometimes Lundell say. had a little more pedigree of offense, like going into his draft year, he, he was a little more highly regarded, but um, I, I think it's not too hard to look around the league and find guys and say, okay, if he's this, is it, is it valuable enough? You know, like Nazem Kadri until this year was mostly like kind of that 50 to 55 point center. Um, if he's that, I think you're perfectly happy. Uh, you know, in, in Minnesota, like he's not quite as big as like a Joel Erickson X. So that, and, and I think he's a better skater. So that one might be tough, but you can, I'd, I'd have to sit down and, and go through, but I, I've done it in the past. I can almost pull up one of my old articles and see uh, what, are the, what I wrote down about it. But um, th- there are centers in the league who are true second line center. Anthony Sorelli would be a, a good example of one who, yes, he's an elite defensive forward. He was on my Selkie ballot this year. Um, but he's a guy who I don't think has crazy offense. I don't think he, he's a guy who's ever had, I don't even know if he's had 50 points in the NHL. And, and I think he's a slam dunk number two center on a team that's won multiple cups. You know, um, Sam Bennett is who Corey Prodman compared him to. I think that's another good one. You know, again, just had his career high. It was 49 points and he was a second line center on the president's trophy winner. So um, ultimately that's a really valuable player. And, and especially at number eight, I, I know, I know people want, you know, the 60 point guy, um, and that's great if you can find it. I, if, if, if you think Savoy is that, if you think Nazar is that, um, you know, I think Savoy in particular has a real chance to, to kind of be that kind of guy. Um, but you got to be sure he's a center. And I think you're absolutely, to me, I would be sure Casper's a center. 
Savoy to be more 50-50. There's questions with all these guys, but I think there's enough there. The two-way game, the physicality, the competitiveness, the speed, enough skill, enough vision, uh, enough you know, kind of willingness to take the puck to the net, I, I should say, um, to, to see that play um, that, that I would be willing to, to take that bet on him. For sure. Um, I know you mentioned like a couple names like Krasinski and like um, – like Kamel and whatnot. If there was like a name that they went completely off the board and God, who do you think that would be at eight? Hmm. Cause Eiserman does love going off the board sometimes and he's usually right. So <laughs> honestly, I don't know how much this is, how much what I think they would do versus what I think I, among that group, uh, Minchikov really appeals to me when I watch him. He's not the kind of like polished defender that I think he needs to be. I did get a chance to sit down with him at the combine and he really impressed me. But he does two things that I think really just impressed me. He's got a clear instinct for when to just go and take the puck. He's got the skill to pull off some good moves. I think he's got good skating. Um, and he's also physical. And that, to me, if you have that physicality, that projects into some ability to, to defend well, especially when, when you combine it with, okay, he's got good offensive instincts. That tells me he sees the play well. Can you just rein him in a little bit? And then maybe he could still be that kind of, you know, number two, number three defenseman that, that I think is really valuable, you know, especially if you get him at eighth overall, I think you're, you're very happy. So that might be the guy, but I don't know if I'm, if I'm just saying, because he was one of the most fun players I got to watch this year. And you're talking about physicality on the back end. If you're, if you got three big dudes back there, like right. cider, and then you get Edvinson coming off, like, right. Holy smokes. <laughs> That's just a large defensive core back there. You're yeah, absolutely. Oh man. He's like, uh, if I can't have one headman, we'll just do headman by committee this time and get all three of them. Um, yeah, like I, I feel like there's not just a bad spot that Troy can go in with number eight. Number eight, I feel like it's a spot where like who knows what's going to happen even three picks in front of you. Like Pierce and I were talking about this. We did a mock draft last night. Like after pick five, it's going to get crazy. Oh, like. where, where the craziness starts, I think, is pick five with Philadelphia because they can really go anyone there. That's what I'm looking forward to in the draft. Yeah, so I'm, even keep it at all. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I'm curious to see if, like, maybe a guy who was supposed to go top five maybe falls to eight too. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe something like that happens because, I mean, we've seen like y- you talked about it previously. Like, teams value centers at the draft. We've learned that in the past. Like, Barrett Hayton went fifth overall a couple years ago when he probably shouldn't have even went top ten, in my opinion. But um, like, I, I genuinely think we're gonna be in for some surprises on draft day that no one even expected to go in the top ten. That's usually how it goes. I mean, it, it is uh, as much as we all try. It is very, very hard to predict. But that's mm-hmm. what makes it so fun, though, and I'm that's why I'm looking forward to being there at the draft to boo uh, Gary Bettman. Also, hear him say I have a trade to announce, and hear like the oohs and ahs of like the the players being picked. Because I remember even just watching the 2019 draft on TV when they picked more Sider. Like there, there's such a huge collective gasp in the stadium, and I don't think anyone was more surprised than more Sider was. It was awesome, <laughs> right? Oh man, <laughs> I just remember. And then, like, cocking the Emmy the year before, the lady just like, what? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Me personally, I'm excited to go to Montreal and watch the whole stadium boo Ken Hughes when he picks Yuri Slavkovsky. Because, like, <laughs> I, I've never seen a team put themselves in a position to be mess up a number one pick so bad. Like, I like, I don't know what your thoughts are, Slavkovsky, Max, but like, when McKenzie dropped that new rankings and stuff, I'm like, if they actually go one with Slepkowski, they're getting booed out of the building. Like, I hope they know that. At least in my opinion. Like, if you're picking the number one pick at home, you should just – there should be no second guesses. But I don't, I don't know. know. It's uh, it's tough to say. Like, I, to me, 
they're both really good players. And I think that Slavkovsky has kind of this, uh, you know, dynamic power element to his game that is really appealing. And I don't think anyone should boo if their team gets this guy. I think he's a really, really good player. <laughs> I'm just um, going off of what NHL fans do when they don't get their guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, I, I, I yeah, it, it, Certainly when you have the draft at home and you have the number one pick, it creates a whole other set of expectations, especially when there's, you know, a homegrown Canadian kid on the board who's been the presumptive number one. So I do get that. But I think really any of that top three, even Cooley, I think might have the most pure dynamic skill in this, in this class. So um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think Montreal can really mess up too bad as much as it'd be a lot of sleepless nights because the stakes of the number one pick is high they're going to get a really, really good player. And Regardless. even if they do surprise you, I think, I think it's going to be a, a franchise piece. I hope so. Cause like that franchise needs it. And that's nothing against Slavkowski. Like I see a lot of Ranson in his game. It's it like, it's really nice. It's just, man, you're putting a lot of pressure on that kid. If you pick him over right at one, especially in the hometown, that's just my opinion. Like it's but like you're picking, you're putting a lot of pride on pressure on right too. When you, when you pick him number one, right. And he's been yeah. this, presumptive guy he's he's a canadian kid he's supposed to save this franchise and that's the thing there's no matter who montreal picks there's pressure because they're going to be playing in montreal and and the pressure there is just a different animal and there's only a few markets in the league that can match it you Mm -hmm. know vancouver toronto so uh (laughs) it's it's no matter who it is they're going to feel pressure yeah that's true i guess i guess that's true at the end of the day but Either way, I'm excited to see what happens because the fact that it's even up for discussion of who's going one still right now makes it um, right. very interesting going into Thursday. That's for sure. <laughs> um, what's your hot take for the draft? What do you think? Like a player going higher, player dropping, whatever, or a trade, what, what, whatever that might be. Hmm, it's a good question. I'll say that there is a trade down within the top five which you very rarely see. That'll be my, my prediction. Alrighty. You think Alex Brink gets, gets traded? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Uh, I don't know what, what or to who, but it seems like that's the way it's going to go for Chicago. Um, Is it at the draft? I mean, I think it probably makes the most sense for it to be at the draft. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll say, yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I know, right? Just like, should be fun. <laughs> we've, we've almost like, uh, at least to me, like I've kind of conditioned myself now. Like I've just accepted that they're going to trade them, which sucks. But I mean, if they get a, like a, just a, a crazy package back for them, then whatever. I can't complain too much. Either way, I think the draft will be crazy. It's be fun that it's finally in person for the first time since 2019. And uh, even though we won't get to, to interview in Montreal, we might even get to bump into you. So, <laughs> yeah. I hope so. It'd be great to see you guys there. All right. So thanks for coming on, Max. Hope you enjoy uh, the next few days before Montreal. Happy uh, uh, Independence Day. And uh, again, hopefully we, we, we bump into you somehow. Thanks, guys. I hope so, too. We'll, we'll uh, hopefully, hopefully they're making those hot dogs in Montreal. We can, we can have one together. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care. <laughs>